0: Wow, isn't this good to be together? I'm seeing some faces. Uh, some faces I haven't seen for more than a year. So it's wonderful. And the faces I have seen more recently, that's wonderful too. <laughs> good to be together. Well, we, if you've been with us online or in one of the two services, you know that for the uh, bulk of this year, we've been thinking about transformation, and uh, as we start gathering uh, as a larger group together, I, I don't want to leave that entirely, but I want to shift the focus a little bit, because we've been talking uh, pretty much about transformation as it relates to us as individuals, and of course that, that's extraordinarily important. But there's another dimension of transformation which we can think about, and that is transformation as a group, as a, a congregation. And it seems to me, especially at a time when we are regathering that that's worth giving some attention to for a few weeks at least. We have a uh, a vision committee that has been working now for a, a month or a month and a half, trying to think about overall direction. We've we've talked about kind of restarting the church, and and so this is an important time for us, and uh, so. It's in light of that, and, and what I sense with all of us is just a, a spirit of encouragement as we're able to be together again. I think it's a good time to think about this issue of congregational transformation. What, what do we mean by that? What might it look like? And how might it relate to us specifically as Grace Bible Church? So I want to begin by looking at a text that we considered some years back but to look at it from a little bit different direction and that is what I call the great mission prayer of Jesus in John 17. So follow along as I read and then we'll uh, begin to give this some attention. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I am coming to you now, but I say these things full measure of my joy within them. For them, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message and go to Grace Bible Church. Oh, that's not there, is it? Okay. That all of them may be one. loved me. Now, I underlined a few phrases there, uh, phrases which I think give the shape and intent of this whole prayer. And you can see them there. Let me back up to the beginning. Jesus says, now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is a mission prayer because mission is about sending. And the story of the Bible is about the God who sends his Son into the world to redeem the world. And so there it is. Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Verse 18. As you sent me into the world... I have sent them into the world, that the world may believe you have sent me, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So, this is about the mission and how the mission takes place, and and then also how we participate in that mission, in that sending of Jesus. Which you'll notice in those verses, particularly verse 18, he says, as you have sent me into the world, I've sent them. So the mission, the mission of Jesus is that mission which is extended to his disciples and followers. They continue the mission for the sake of the world, that the world may know, and, and for the sake of eternal life that the world may participate in that. Now, so there it is. Now on this screen, notice the yellow highlights. It's about sending. But in this prayer, Jesus says... I pray for those who will believe in me through their message, through the message of the apostles, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Then again, verse 22, I have given them the glory you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Now, you see the connection. The prayer is about the mission of God sending his son into the world, the mission which you and I are called into. And the manner, you might say the means of the mission, is through the unity of disciples together. That all of them may be one, just as you are in me and I am in you. That they may be one, that the world may know that you have sent me. The world comes to know the truth of the gospel by the way that the disciples relate together. Okay? I mean, that's, that's pretty straightforward, isn't it? So that's what I want to reflect on with you today, and uh, and I want to pick it up next week because this gets to be a, a little bit deeper than you might first think. <clears throat> so here's <clears throat> here's the first thing we observe: the church is a partner in the mission of Jesus. God, the missionary God, sends His Son into the world to redeem and restore, to recover what has been lost. <clears throat> Jesus is the original missionary. He's the one who has been sent. John says in his little epistle, 1 John four fourteen, the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. That's... <clears throat> That's the basic statement of mission. The mission, Jesus says, is eternal life. You sent me, he says the Father, that I might give, that I might have authority to grant eternal life to those that you have given me. Now, there's our our icon of the Trinity that we've looked at many times. The mission is eternal life, and eternal life is the life of God, right? What what else would it be but the life of God? And and I love the, the icon because it's suggestive of that life. It's not an individual life, it's it's a corporate life because it's the life of the Trinity. It's that eternal fellowship of love, which is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a unity of shared life, shared love, shared purpose. In the gospel, what Jesus is sent to communicate is to communicate the love of God for the world with an invitation for the world to enter into that circle of love. That's that's the good news, that we're invited in, and the disposition of the The three figures there is suggestive of that. That's that's an inviting picture with space at the table for you, for me, for the world. And it's this mission then that the church, that the disciples of Jesus are sent into. So the church, as we say is not an end user of the gospel. The the gospel doesn't terminate on you. It terminates on God's purpose to bring his fallen creation back into fellowship with himself, and to bring image bearers, cracked and broken as we are, to bring us into that circle of love. And, And that's what we're sent into sent with this message of the one life of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, which is now made available to us and through us to the world. Well, so that's the background. That's the setting of this great prayer of Jesus right before the cross before the the great culminating events that will make this possible. Now, what, what we want to focus on, though, today is that the success of this mission, God's plan from before the foundations of the world, This great mission plan is built around this assumption that the disciples are going to figure out how to be one, be united, because Jesus says that's how the world will know. See, the the world can hear. We can talk about this message. But I think the point of this prayer is that the world needs not just to hear, but the world needs to see. They need to see a, a tangible, visible reality that speaks to them about the invisible reality, about the God that they cannot see, but the God who is one in three, who lives in this eternal fellowship of love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They need some kind of help to see that. And that help, Jesus says, will be my disciples who are recruited into this mission. And who live in a way that goes beyond words. Not as a replacement for words. But as a supplement and support. That they may be one father as you and I are one. That the world may know. And that the world may believe that you sent me. So then the question that we come to is this what does this unity look like and on the surface of it it's a it's simple right here we are all together and pretty happy but uh, but that may not last and then what? What does it look like for the disciples of Jesus to be one? Well, how about about this? Here's Paul in 1 Corinthians. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Well, that's about not to take your breath away, isn't it? So, to mask or not to mask? What would Paul say? Ooh, now you're now you're tripping over toes, aren't you? See that. The theory, when you first look at it, sounds very simple, doesn't it? Okay, let's just be one. Let's go about the mission of God. But the difficulty is in the realities of day to day. That's when it gets tough. And it gets tough especially when we're under pressure. Like we've been for a year plus, huh? I mean, life can be pressure filled all the time, but but especially this last year, it's been hard on us. So as we're feeling more encouraged, I think most of us are, it's good to be together and so forth, this is a good time to try to wrestle a bit with this challenging question. What does it look like to be one together in the mission of God? And, and Paul says something here that just about knocks my socks off, but, but it's not the only thing Paul has to say. So we'll get a little bit different perspective uh, next week when we look at Romans 14. And I suggest that you might want to start churning over Romans 14 because I think it's, it's a wonderful supplement to 1 Corinthians 1.10. And uh, we're going to go to that passage next week and try to understand what Paul is talking talking to us about and uh, see where it takes us, all right? But this is an important question, what does unity look like? So as we we prepare ourselves for really next week, taking a deeper dive into this, let me suggest some questions that we might want to have for ourselves as we think about this. Paul says, uh, I want you all to agree and speak the same thing. Well, okay, Paul, Jesus, what if we cannot agree? You know, uh, one of my theological heroes is uh, that cantankerous Augustinian monk by the name of Martin Luther. And he was cantankerous. He said some things in the early 16th century that uh, were pretty rough on the medieval church. In fact, he said, uh, you guys aren't preaching the gospel anymore. And that raised a giant revolution all across Europe that we call the Protestant Reformation. Luther didn't leave the church. He was a reformer, which means he wanted to reform the church, but uh, he pushed hard enough. Uh, calling the Pope the Antichrist probably wasn't the most politically wise thing to do, but uh, but he got kicked out. You say, well, that wasn't his fault. He was standing for the truth. And, and that may be the case. I think, there's, I think that can happen sometimes. But, you know, it set a course in history. It set a course for Luther. That the longer he went, the more cantankerous he got on all kinds of issues. So... Uh, About a decade after he got started and uh, the message of reform and revolution went across the empire and the emperor got upset and started to bring heat on the Luther and his followers and on some of the other Protestants, because it was like wildfires springing up all across Europe. Uh, (laughs) Some of the Protestants said, you know, uh, we can either hang together or we can all hang separately, and it might be good. It might give us more space and give us a better potential for getting the word out if we came together and agreed on how we could not just be separate little groups. So they said, okay, we'll meet in Marburg, Marburg Colloquy. And we'll get some of the big leaders of the Reformation together, and we'll talk over our differences and see if we can come to agreement and, and work together. So they got Ulrich Zwingli from uh, Switzerland, and uh, they got Martin Buzer from Strasbourg, I guess. A number of other big names, and they brought them together for this colloquy. And uh, you know what they found? They found that on 14 and a half out of 15 paragraphs of doctrine, they were in agreement. Agreement about the main lines of the gospel and all that. There was this, that half point. And it was a question. What did Jesus mean when at the Last Supper he said, This is my body? And Luther was uh, strongly, strongly committed to the medieval understanding of the real physical presence of Christ in the sacrament so that when Jesus said this is my body that's what he meant this is my body literally well Zwingli and some of the others were not so sure about that they said well why can't that be figurative and in fact that's that's the view that they took on 14 and a half out of 15, they were together. But on the basis of that one point, they decided they could not unite. What if we can't agree? Now what that did, I think that why that's important, that 500-year-old history, see, is that that seems to have built into us Protestants a DNA of divisiveness. I mean, it's, it's deeply rooted in us. And, of course, those who are Americans probably have an added feature, right, of American individualism. So this is what I think. This is my view. If you don't like it, tough turkeys. <clears throat> so it's very deeply ingrained. The, uh, how, about, how about this number? How, how many Protestant denominations have developed in the last 500 years since Marburg? How many guess it's more than 1,000? How many guess it's more than 10,000? Carol, you're really brave today, aren't you? Well, the the estimate of uh, the center up at Gordon-Conwell Seminary is 47,000. Now, I think for a number of reasons that that that's probably unduly high. But I I don't think that 10,000 is too high. It's in our DNA, huh? Two weeks ago, The Southern Baptists met for their annual convention. I don't know if any of you follow the Southern Baptists on this, but they met for their annual convention. Every year, it seems, they've got stuff that they're uh, discussing. Let's call it discussing. One of the issues this year was CRT, which stands for Critical Race Theory. I see a few heads nodding. Well, uh, they discussed it. Uh, most people didn't come out happy with what where they ended up. There were some people who let it be known ahead of time that if if the church came to the conclusion they didn't like they were leaving since two thousand and six. The estimate is that the Southern Baptists, the largest Protestant denomination, the Southern Baptists have lost an estimated 2 million members. Now, there's multiple reasons. But one reason is uh, they like to fight, I think. So here's here's another question that's related to this see what if we can't agree And friends here's the reality we cannot agree on lots of things Here's the reality we should not expect to agree But then what do we do Well, here's a question that we'll have to uh, wrestle with over these uh, next couple of weeks as we think about these problems. Is being right more important than being one? Is being right more important? Now, see, part of the Protestant DNA, I think, is... That it's very important to be right. And this is deeply embedded in evangelical and fundamentalist DNA too, see, because we fought those battles. Luther fought his battle in the 16th century, but we fought our big battles back at the end of the 19th and into the the first half of the 20th century. We were fighters. Fundamentalists are fighters. Fighters. They fight over truth, right? That's what we're concerned about. And I don't mean to minimize truth because truth is worth fighting over. But as being right, and I put right in quotation marks, see, because because by that I'm saying What I think is right, or what you think is right. Another way you might say it is is this. Is winning the argument, or is having the correct view about whatever, critical race theory. Is that more important than being one? Think about Jesus' prayer. What does Jesus pray? Father, may they be right so that the world will know that you have sent me. Maybe Jesus didn't understand the, the tough things we were going to face. Maybe he would have prayed that if he knew, huh? That they may be one that the world may know. Well, so here's, here's what I want to leave you with. Those questions and this final question then. How do you think we're doing as a congregation in practicing unity? Will people who come in contact with Grace Bible Church say that is a group of people who are united together in the love of God and the love of Jesus and they show that in their relationship to the world but they also show it in their relationship to one another? Is, is that what they would say? Well, we're not going to try to answer that. I'm going to let you wrestle with that, think about it, and invite you this week to read Romans chapter 14. In fact, to read into the first half of 15, because the discussion actually goes to about verse 8, I think it is. So you can read that and just mull over it, see if you can understand some of the things that Paul is talking about there and think about how it might relate to us today. Let's pray together. Lord, it is so good to be together again, to uh, see faces that we haven't seen in a while, either because of the masks, or just because people weren't here, and uh, it's it's good to be together. We we sense your love for us. We believe this gospel message that God so loved the world that he he gave and he sent his son. that whoever believes in him might have everlasting life. We want to be be the people, God, who reflect that and through whom you can work to bring others into that eternal fellowship of love of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Will you help us, Lord, in these next couple weeks to think carefully and to commit ourselves to being the people of love and unity that you can use for your mission. We pray it with a sense of expectation and thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Like you life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Go in the goodness of God.